Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and his name shall, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For, before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter beginning with the 18th verse. Listen now for God's word. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do so, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I think about the parents of Jesus, an image that comes to my mind is about Mary kneeling next to the manger looking fondly upon Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying there in the manger. Also think about Mary when she pondered all these things in her heart as Jesus grew in wisdom and statue and favor with God and humanity. I think of Mary as the parent of Jesus. But then there's Joseph. And my question always, where is he? usually standing over to the side next to Mary in pictures that we have, leading the donkey all the way to Bethlehem while she rode on the back of the donkey. Not exactly center stage. 
I guess a good supporting actor, but not the main event. Yet in Matthew's gospel, in contrast to Luke's gospel, which focused on Mary, Matthew brings up about Joseph and describes him as a man in conflict who had to make some very critical ethical decisions. A little background about marriage in Palestine might be some help to us. Marriage in Palestine was really an arranged marriage. And it usually happened between the men. The father of the bride and the father of the groom came together and made a deal. In fact, a contract was signed in which the couple, who had not been consulted about this, were then officially married. And the groom's parents would give a monetary gift to the bride's parents. And it was a contract that was binding. And oftentimes the contract was a year before there was a marriage ceremony in which they were officially named husband and wife. The period between the engagement and the marriage was called the betrothal period. And we've read often about Mary being betrothed to Jesus. It's kind of a testing period of the fidelity of the new couple and whether they would be a good match with each other, but they rarely saw each other. That being the practice, Joseph was in a bind. He had come to understand that Mary was pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. So what was he going to do? Jewish law was very clear. Jewish law was very clear that he would need to report the pregnancy during this contract. There would be a trial, and one of the options could be that she would be stoned to death because of her violation of the contract. Now, while Jewish law is very clear about that side of the law, it also is very much tempered by mercy. So Joseph was considering whether to just not expose Mary to public humiliation, which it would be, and just quietly dismiss her and get on with life. Oftentimes, I think we're not unlike Joseph in that we only see two options in our conditions in life. It's called binary thinking, which is kind of a popular way of thinking these days, meaning something's right or it's wrong, it's good or it's bad, it follows the law or it breaks the law. In this case, Joseph could either outmarry and give her that public humiliation, or he could just quietly dismiss her and go about his business so they could continue their life. Many times I think we are not unlike that in that we see two choices and we decide to take one or the other. Either we're going to fight with guns blazing because we know we're right, or else we're just going to ignore it as if it never happened. Either we're going to make quite a scene out of something so we can make our stand be known, or else we're going to just be quiet and just kind of slip into the darkness. Yet for Joseph, there came a third way, another way for him to deal with this very sticky situation. And it came to him in a dream one night. We're told in scripture that an angel came to Joseph and said to him, take Mary as your wife, for the child she has conceived has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this child, the angel said, 
would come in order to save humanity from their sin as well as to fulfill the prophecy that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name should be called Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and decided to do as the angel had instructed him. He took Mary as his wife and didn't choose the law, the rigid law, to follow. He also didn't choose mercy. I'm suggesting Joseph chose God's way. He chose to follow the voice of God, to be faithful to God, and to be faithful to Mary. I'm intrigued about this third way, which I'm just calling God's way. I wonder how many of us are prone to choose the third way. How many of us even pause to ask, what is God wanting me to do? when we're confronted by a decision that we have to make? How many of us want to make a hard and fast decision because we know we're right? And then how many of us are so wishy-washy we never make a decision? My worry is that too few of us even consider God's way, the third way, when we're trying to make our daily decisions. We're so often on autopilot that we just want to get through the day. We just want to make a decision so it looks like we know what we're doing and we're brave and providing some leadership. But I want to suggest that Joseph chose a third way, God's way. And it's a reminder, at least to me, that whenever we're faced with decisions to make, there's often many more than just two options. Part of the learning for me from Joseph is a reminder to always seek a third or fourth or even fifth way. And remember, there are more than two options. And God, I think, is calling us to seek a third way, a different way, a new way to be faithful. Secondly, Joseph got a sign from a dream. It was clear for him what to do. The angel had come and had told him what he needed to do. Now, remember, the word angel means messenger. Not necessarily like in our nativity scenes with wings flapping and all that kind of stuff going on, but a messenger. And there are numerous ways in which we get messages from God. Just look around this sanctuary this morning, all the people here, and how you are messengers one to another. Just think about the word of God in scripture and how that's a message to us. Just think about the interactions we have with numerous people whether they're Christian or not, and can be a message from God. Just think about books that we read or television that we watch or the numerous activities we're involved in, not to mention family members, not to mention our work colleagues, not to mention everyday life. All of which are ways by which God can speak to us and help us see yet another way to be faithful to him. For me, I get some of my best thoughts when I'm swimming in the pool every morning. It's quiet, no one's there, and it finally dawns on me, oh, this is what I need to do. Or I get ideas as I'm riding around in the truck and wondering what should I do about a certain situation, wondering what the options are, wondering if there's not a more efficient way in order to handle a situation. My question to you is what is your God time? What are those times in your life where God speaks to you more directly and clearly? 
What are those moments every day in which you're clearer and are open to hearing God's message? Joseph saw a third way, not just two options. Joseph had a sign. But finally, I think that because there is a third way, because there are numerous ways through which God can speak to us, I want to suggest that God is always surprising us. We often think that God is binary, that God chooses right and wrong, good and bad, evil and and good. But I think scripture is full of examples of how God doesn't think that way. And God is constantly surprising us just like he surprised Joseph. Goliath the giant was felled by this little boy with a few pebble stones. David, the great king, who was immoral as he could be, became the lineage through which Jesus Christ was born. Rahab, a prostitute in the Old Testament, was the lookout for the Israelite people so that they would not suffer harm. Saul, the persecutor of the church, turns around to be the biggest advocate we ever had in the church. Mary, a teenage girl, is going to be the mother of the Son of God? A criminal on the cross of Calvary? Jesus takes with him to paradise? And the secular authorities convict Jesus, sentence him to death and crucifixion, and God surprises people and raises him from the dead. Time after time after time, God surprises us. God does things that are in contrast to what we think and believe. The the God that we worship is a God of surprises. And this God has surprised each and every one of us in order to show us a still more excellent way. And yet, unfortunately, we oftentimes miss God's surprise. We sometimes don't read what God is saying to us. We say it's luck or it was not my time, or it was circumstances, or it was fate. Well, let's be real clear as Reformed Christians. We don't believe in luck. We don't believe in fate. We don't believe in just some circumstances. We believe God is in control. We believe God is in charge. We believe that even if things don't go like they ought to go, God will take that situation and use it for God's kingdom. For when we're in that valley, God is right beside us. When we're up on the mountaintop, God is right there with us. And when we're just trying to get through a boring day and got eight more hours to work, God still stands with us. For where I think we fail is that we are not willing to ask the God question. What is God calling me to do? What would God have me do in this situation? How does God want me to act? And where, where is God leading me? You see, to me, these are questions that I think open us up to God's surprises. They help get us out of the binary thinking of right and wrong and seeing possibilities that we never thought possible. And yet God does not operate on our time schedule God doesn't function in response to us like we want God to do. 
God is on his own time schedule and we get frustrated because we don't get an answer quick enough. My suggestion is that that time frame is an opportunity for us to listen, to seek God's will, to be open to a new possibility of how God might indeed surprise us. Because I do believe that God provides a way. Sometimes we're blind to it and sometimes we're just hard-headed. But I do believe God provides a way and always provides a way for us. Brian and Megan Morgan, a young couple, wanted to have children and they couldn't. So they decided to go through the foster care system hoping that that might be a way in which they might ultimately adopt a child. A 15-month-old, Benjamin, was put in foster care with them, and they suddenly began to fall in love with him. His parents were Hispanic, and so their language was not English, and every week when they came to visit him, it was a pretty stressful situation. Yet they began to love this Benjamin in ways they never thought possible. And yet at the same time, something was tugging at their heartstrings about, is this right? Is this the way? Is this what God wants us to do? For Brian, the moment of clarity came in the courtroom when they were appearing before the judge and the biological parents were there no interpreter was there, and they seemed to wait for an eternity before an interpreter came. And yet, during that trial, Brian realized how much these parents loved that child. For Megan, it came while she was driving around one day, and Benji was in the back seat. And she realized that Benji already had a mother and didn't need Megan to be his mother. Six months later... Benjamin was returned to his biological parents with Megan and with Brian cheering him on. It was not easy, but they realized that God wanted that to be like that, that he needed to be with his biological parents, and they were ecstatic about him returning to them. Surprise, surprise. It wasn't how Megan and Brian had planned things. And yet, it was the true way to go. Brian got the message in court from the messenger. Megan got the message while driving around in the car. These were simply evidences of God's third way, of a way completely opposite of what they wanted to do and what they knew was the right thing to do. But to say the least, they were surprised by God and yet knew that was the way to go. I've been surprised by God on numbers of times in my life. The one that really stands out was in 1996. I was school board member and chair for six years in Stafford County. We built a new school every year just trying to keep up with all the come-heres that were coming to Stafford County. And driving an hour and a half to D.C. and thought they had a real life, but nevertheless, that's another story. It was the first time in 1996 that we had elected school boards, and so I had to run for my seat. I hated the campaigning and the politicking, and to say the least, I got beat like a drum. I was badly beaten in that race, and the night of the election, I was just kind of devastated because 
I had so many people pulling for me and they thought I should continue and I wanted to continue. And yet that night in November was devastating for me and shameful for me because I thought I'd let people down. What am I going to do? Two months later, I got a call extending an invitation to be the general prester and stated clerk for the prester of the James, a position I retired from just a year ago. Talk about surprise on both counts, getting beat and also being called. But it was very clear to me that if I had won that election, I would have been set for the next four years. And yet God had another plan for my life, and the rest of it is history. My question to you is, how is God surprising you? What difference is God making in your life? How many times have you been able to follow a different path than the one you knew you were supposed to do because something had nudged you to go in a different direction than what you had thought about? Of all the seasons, Christmas is one of the biggest God surprises there is. For someone to give their only son to a darkened and sinful world in order to save that world has to be the surprise of the centuries. And history has been changed because of it. In this Christmas season, will you let God surprise you? Will you be open to a different way of looking at life? Will you be willing to see how God could make your life different if you're willing to ask the God questions so that God can surprise you? Let us pray. Eternal God, thank you for surprises. Even though we resist them, even though we're not comfortable with them, even though we know they are probably the right way. So be with us as we celebrate this Christmas season and remind us to open our eyes once again about the surprises you have in store for us as your children. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.